six-year-old Bella Fontenelle lived in Harahan, Louisiana. A small town nestled into the suburbs of New Orleans, Harahan seemed to be a town full of nothing but friendly faces, a city that the young Bella Fontenelle should have been safe in. Bella should be alive today, wrapping up her final days of kindergarten, trying on her cap and gown, enjoying field day with her friends, and living a normal six-year-old life. Unfortunately, Bella will not be able to enjoy these things, not today, not ever, because her life was senselessly and heinously ripped from her, ripped from her by someone who should have loved her cared for her, and quite honestly been a confidant for her, someone to have looked up to and someone to have built a lifelong relationship with. And this someone is the monster in today's story. Bunak Lim, or as we're going to refer to her moving forward, Hannah Landon. She had more than one name, but Hannah seems to be what she went by more often than not. Hello everyone, thank you so much for listening to this week's case. If you're a returning true crime BFF, hello bestie, I'm so glad to have your back. And if you're new here, hi, my name is May Kiedels and this is the Dark Deeds Podcast, where we dive deep into criminal minds, both past and present. So if you are looking for a new true crime podcast that goes beyond the headlines and focuses on the importance of justice for victims, well, my friend, you have come to the right place. This is the Dark Deeds Podcast. I'm May Kiedels. Let's dive right in. Whenever I get ready to research a case, I try to write all of the information that I'm finding about whatever case I'm covering objectively, for the most part. I will give my two cents here and there, but more often than not, I do try to stick to the facts. Because after all, if you are into true crime in any way, shape, or form, the facts are really what matter, right? There are some cases that I find this particularly difficult to do. And today's case is definitely going to be one of them. Taking the life of anyone is wrong. I think we can all agree to that much. However, I think we can all agree that taking the life of a child is beyond heinous. There are lives, in my opinion, that should be off limits even to the most vile of human beings, and those lives are the lives of children. Children are innocent and rely on us adults for safety and security and protection so that they can live out their childhood free from emotional and physical abuse. Now, today's case does have me super fired up. So as we move forward, just expect a lot more of my opinions. And if that bothers you, I apologize. Just expect that from me when I cover cases with children because child cases just really get me going. They really tick me off. And this case is short of none of the things that just infuriate me to no end. Michael Fontanelle and Jennifer Zeldin brought two beautiful little girls into the world, two little girls who were not that far in part in age. Aria and Bella were beautiful little girls and said to be very, very close. Sadly, however, the marriage was not to last, and Michael and Jennifer came to an agreement that they were not going to be able to reconcile their differences and filed for divorce. And this divorce was said to be pretty tense. I honestly think that most divorces are. I mean, if things were good, why would you be divorcing, right? So things between Michael and Jennifer were rocky, to say the least. But it did seem like they were doing their part to keep the girls a priority. Jennifer didn't move cities away or thousands of miles away. 
they lived within about a block or two of each other. And there's not much information as to why they remained in close distance, but I think it's pretty safe to say that it probably had something to do with the children. After all, how many divorced couples live right next door to each other if they don't share children? Now, at some point after the divorce, Michael began to date again, and he ended up dating a woman named Bunak Lim. It wasn't long after Hannah and Michael began dating that Hannah would move in full-time to live with Michael Fontenelle and his two girls, Bella and Aria. Now, this threw new dynamics into play. Hannah was no longer just a simple girlfriend, going on dates and maybe spending the night from time to time. She was a full-time live-in presence in these girls' lives. And she began to become very involved, and in my opinion, overly involved, into the relationship between Bella, Aria, and Jennifer Zeldin, Aria and Bella's mom. On June 8, 2021, Hannah was accused of physically assaulting Bella's mother, Jennifer, at a swim meet held at Riverside Country Club in Harahan. Now, allegedly, Hannah refused to allow a family member to hug the girls after their swim meet, claiming that it was because it was Michael's weekend and not their weekend. Obviously, this upset Jennifer. It would upset me. There is no record to show that Jennifer was an unfit mother or that Jennifer was a danger to be around these girls, or for that matter, that anyone in Jennifer's family was a danger around these girls. So to deny the girls the ability to be acknowledged by their mother and her family when they ran into each other that day at the swim meet is ridiculous to me. Just because it is Michael's custody weekend does not mean that children should be ignored by their other side of the family. However, this was not something that Hannah thought was normal. Hannah grabbed one of the girls and kind of pulled her away from Jennifer's family, making it really hard for them to continue to interact with her. And this upset Jennifer. Naturally, an exchange ensues between the two women, an exchange that led Hannah to feel that she needed to pull her phone out to record the incident. Obviously, this triggered Jennifer. I think it would trigger anyone. I'm going to be honest. If you pull a phone out in front of me while we're just arguing, like normal argument, it's going to tick me off. I think it would upset any logical human being when someone does that. It's a very aggressive thing to do, in my opinion. So Jennifer puts her hand up, and it, it isn't said that it was a lifting a hand to strike. It sounded like from the police report that the hand was simply lifted to kind of block the phone. And this ticked Hannah off. So what does Hannah do? Well, she slaps Jennifer's hand out of the way. And as if that's not disrespectful enough in front of the two girls and literally probably at this point, a plethora of people surrounding them, she reaches out and grabs Jennifer by the hair. Jennifer then responds by grabbing Hannah by the hair and yelling, let go. Hannah, during all of this, is not letting go of the hair and actually slapping Jennifer. The altercation was supposedly broken up by a bystander, and Jennifer was left with scratches on her hands and face. And when police became involved, Hannah was combative from the start, telling them lies that she didn't even have a phone when they asked for her cell phone number, and also continuing her lie to say that Michael Fontenelle, her boyfriend, Bella's dad, didn't even have a cell phone when they asked for his number. She continued her lying to claim that it wasn't her that reached out first and slapped Jennifer's hand, that Jennifer had attacked her, and that that is why she pulled the phone out to protect herself. Now, I find this ironic because as she's telling the lie that she doesn't have a cell phone so she can't give him her cell phone number, she's also bringing up the fact that 
she pulled out her phone to record this altercation. And the entire time that she's speaking with police, it's reported that she was combative, difficult to handle, and just giving them the hardest time when it came to them attempting to figure out what the heck had just taken place at a child's swim meet. Police then informed her that Jennifer was intending on pressing charges for the assault that day, and this really upset Hannah, and so she responded and said that she wanted to file charges as well. Now, obviously this didn't go in Hannah's favor. A judge ended up siding with Jennifer and slapped, no pun intended, Hannah with a simple assault charge. I think this really wounded her ego because she then attempted to file a temporary restraining order on Jennifer. And this was not granted, I think largely in part due to the fact that she had lost all credibility that day. She had lied to police. She was not an easy citizen to work with, and she had just really left a taste in their mouth as being untrustworthy. Now I'm gonna shoot this one straight with y'all. Physical altercations in front of children are not okay, period. There is never a good excuse for this type of behavior whatsoever. Hannah had no business inserting herself into any type of custody conversation whatsoever. You're the stepmom. Know your place. Support your boyfriend or husband if you end up marrying him. Support your stepchildren and love them as your own, of course. But getting intimately and deeply involved in custody conversations and preventing a mother who didn't have any type of regulations against her from acknowledging her child in public or being in the presence of her daughters at all is just beyond me. It's disrespectful. It's honestly extremely problematic and does nothing but harm the child or the children in this case, and in any case. And after all, when it comes to divorce, shouldn't children be the top priority? Aren't they the ones who have the most to lose in all of this? The ones who have the least say in their family falling apart? They should be the ones who are the most respected. And this entire altercation did nothing but disrespect both Bella and Aria. Now, Jennifer had a sister named Evelyn, and Evelyn was there that day at the country club. And it's alleged that Evelyn had reached out to Michael to inform him of what was going on. And I think that's a pretty normal response. Now, it's said that Michael responded kindly about it, saying that he didn't have a problem with Jennifer or her family hugging the girls. And I think that really goes to show how far Jennifer and Michael had come since their divorce and that their first priority, like I said earlier, being the girls is apparent even still. Now, what I was not able to find information on is how Michael felt in this particular moment towards Hannah. And I would hope that he was upset. And I'm also gonna shoot this one pretty straight too. This should have been a massive red flag for Michael. Now, obviously there is no red flag for what's gonna come in today's case. I wanna make that very clear. I'm not saying that he should have seen this as a precursor to what ended up happening. By all means, no. But I do think that it was a precursor to the toxicity that Hannah brought into their family dynamic. And it is my firm belief that a toxic person is not someone that you're going to be able to blend into your family. They're going to always cause friction and pain. And I think at this point in both Aria and Bella's life, that was not something these girls needed. Now, this was the one major event that was pretty thoroughly documented in terms of law enforcement involvement. There was an accusation made on March 17th of 2021 as well. Hannah claimed that while they were at the girls' soccer game that Jennifer had grabbed her and aggressively pulled her close and quietly threatened to hurt her. 
But from my research, it doesn't seem that anything really ever came of this claim. And again, I would assume it's probably because she had literally zero credibility with law enforcement due to all of her lying and combative behavior in the past. After 2021, disputes between Jennifer and Hannah seemed to go radio silent. Disputes as far as law enforcement were concerned, at least. That is, until the morning of April 26, 2023. Michael Fontenelle had worked late the night prior on the 25th, arriving home somewhere around 9.45 p.m. He stated that he arrived home late and was exhausted, so he went straight to bed. He didn't go into the room of either of his girls or talk to Hannah that night. He came home, exhausted, and went to bed. He did awake pretty early on the morning of the 26th, though, and saw Aria and spoke with her. Realizing that Bella wasn't up yet, he went into his six-year-old daughter's room to find that she was not in bed. And it didn't take Michael Fontenelle long to realize not only was his daughter not in bed, she was not in the house whatsoever. And oddly, Hannah Landon, his girlfriend, was missing as well. And by 7.30 a.m., he was entering the police department to report them both missing. Police wasted no time in getting out on the street to search for both Hannah and Landon. By 8.30 a.m., they were canvassing the entire neighborhood where Michael Fontenelle lived. And because he lived so close to Bella's mother, police then headed that direction, just a short two blocks over. When they arrived at Jennifer's property, they very quickly noticed that something just did not seem right. There was a large 10-gallon bucket sitting in Jennifer's front lawn. Officers obviously approached the bucket and looked inside. I'm sure as police approached this bucket, they were not expecting to uncover something this tragic. Inside this 10-gallon bucket was the lifeless body of the beautiful six-year-old Bella Fontenelle. Bella had been murdered and placed inside this 10-gallon bucket by a monster. A monster who, in my opinion, wanted Bella's own mother to see her daughter this way. Naturally, at this point, officers don't know what's going on. They don't know how Bella ended up in this bucket or who did this to her. But what they do know is that Hannah Landon is still missing, and the search for Hannah really ramps up. Now, it would take officers some time to figure out where Hannah had gone, and I think a lot of the confusion there was because Hannah went by multiple names. Once the news that a body was found in Jennifer's front lawn began to spread throughout the neighborhood, neighbors came out ready to assist law enforcement in any way that they could, many of them inviting them inside to watch their home security footage. One home in particular caught some pretty disturbing footage. Security video shows what appears to be the girlfriend transporting the 10-gallon bucket in a wagon. We were able to find numerous video uh, of, from different households in the neighboring area which showed uh, her pulling a wagon down uh, late last night uh, with the bucket inside the back of that wagon. Landon allegedly pulled the wagon down the street with no attempt to hide the dead child, even as a vehicle drives past her. Investigators believe Landon killed the little girl at her father's home and moved her body about one block away to her mother's house. One camera would capture a woman very clearly appearing to be Hannah Landon, pulling a wagon behind her, the same type of wagon you would use at, let's say, a soccer practice or a soccer game. And in this wagon was a very large 10-gallon chlorine bucket. This would be the same bucket that law enforcement had identified being left on the front of Jennifer's lawn, the very same bucket that contained the remains of Bella Fontenelle. Now, it took officers some time to locate Hannah, and by 2 in the afternoon, they were finally able to achieve this. 
Hannah had walked into the police department around midnight the night prior. She wasn't making much sense, but was asking them for a ride, and they knew that something just wasn't right with this woman. So they put her in their squad car and took her for an eval at the local hospital, and that's where she stayed until they realized that that's where she was at around 2 p.m. Hannah was arrested at the hospital and taken to the Jefferson County Correctional Center. She has been charged with one count of first-degree murder and one count of obstruction of justice. Now, we do have the autopsy of little Bella released at this point, and it's upsetting. The autopsy showed that Bella Fontanelle lost her life due to manual strangulation and what appeared to be blunt force trauma as well. This has sent shockwaves through this small community that seems to be a really safe place to live. While researching this community, I came across a travel website that references Harahan as being a small, tight-knit community that makes it easy to get to know your neighbors. So these people are close. I, I think it's safe to say that, that this community was close and that crimes like this, they don't happen in Harahan, Louisiana. But unfortunately, it did. And the shockwaves that went through this community will be there for years from now. Bella was in kindergarten at St. Matthew's School, and the week that she tragically lost her life, they had already began their end-of-year festivities, having a field day planned that Thursday, a field day that Bella should have been at. Her kindergarten graduation was approaching, and I would assume that due to how far we are into the school year, I have a six-year-old myself, graduation photos were already taken. I would assume that much for Bella as well. And I can't imagine what her mother and father feel probably having these photos um, of their daughter who's not going to get to graduate kindergarten. She will forever be six years old. And that is just, that is just the saddest part of all of this. St. Matthew's really has done their part to rally behind the community of Harahan, trying to ensure that not only are the adults able to process what has just taken place, but also trying to help the younger ones in the community, trying to make sure that the classmates and those who went to school with Bella are, are able to come to terms and process with the loss that this community is now feeling. St. Matthew's did cancel school for a week, I believe. It might have been two, but I think it was at least just a week. And they also held a memorial service for Bella. And now, obviously, I think it's a pretty safe assumption that a lot of people came out, right? Bella was a six-year-old little girl. It shocked the community and, and honestly has upset many of us just throughout the entire United States. But the community of Harahan were not the only ones in attendance at this memorial. Little Bella's family actually attended as well and they sat in the front row. And, and even her older sister Aria, who's now seven, was in attendance as well. It's said that at the end of the memorial service, Bella's family stood up and spoke with adults and parents of these children and, and even spoke with the children as well. I cannot fathom as a mother walking through something this horrific. I also cannot fathom having this amount of strength, the strength to even carry on, much less the strength to attend a memorial so shortly after losing my child and the strength to greet others and, and put their pain in front of my own and, and try to make sure that the community is okay. Their strength is truly admirable, but is a strength, sadly, that they should never have to know that they have. Bella is remembered as a sweet and playful little girl. 
It's said that she was shy, but she always had a big smile and a hug ready for anyone. And I'm sure some of her neighbors that gave interviews to news outlets are going to be forever haunted with the memories of the little girl that they shared. A little girl who loved playing in her front yard and had her grandparents visit her mother Jennifer's house very often could be seen playing out front while her mom sat there and watched them and interacting with people in the neighborhood. Everyone in the neighborhood said Bella was shy, yes, but she was so sweet, so kind, and just such a pleasure to be around. The preciousness of Bella's childhood was ripped from her, and while we may not know the exact details as to why Hannah Landon chose to do what she did, I think I will go out on a limb here and say that it might have had something to do with a very twisted feud she felt towards Jennifer, Bella's mother. And it is absolutely disgusting to me that if this is the case, that this was what she thought she needed to do to get that one up on Jennifer. It's just absolutely disgusting to me. The ongoing case of Bella Fontenelle kept me up last night. The surveillance video replayed in my mind over and over and over again. I cannot unsee that video. Children are vulnerable and the perfect target for evil cowardice. Hannah Landon deserves to never see the light of day. And this might be controversial, but it's my firm belief that her right to even breathe should no longer exist either. While much is still unknown about this case, I think we can all go out on a limb here together and say that this was done to hurt Bella's mother. As a mother myself, I can tell you that my heart, it no longer beats within my body. It, it does so outside of my body in the form of my children, my beautiful children. The choice to take this child's life so senselessly and then to discard of her in the way that she chose to in this 10-gallon chlorine bucket and to leave her on her mother's front lawn for her mother to have to see her baby girl like that, nothing short of heinous and truly vile. Bella's life was stolen from her at no fault of her own. And I, th and I think that that is probably the hardest part for me to grasp right now. This child should have been safe. She was at home, in her room. She had a mother who loved her and a father who loved her as well. Bella Fontenelle should be alive right now, counting down her last days of school, having just finished her field day this week, soaking in those last few precious days of kindergarten, and anxiously awaiting long summer days by the pool, hanging out with her sister Aria, and being loved on by her mother and father. Bella Fontenelle should have so many more years left. It is said that Hannah Landon is having a pretty close eye kept on her over at Jefferson Parish. They are ensuring that she does not attempt to unalive herself. And I think that at this point, that would be the only thing that could happen that would just set me off even more than I already am right now, to be honest. I want to see this go to trial. I want to see justice for Bella. And I pray that Bella does receive the justice that she deserves. Hannah, Hannah has no right to exist, and, and honestly, even holding her in jail, in my opinion, is a waste of taxpayer money. She is pure evil. There is no soul in there. And, and y'all can come for me on that one. I, I stand by what I say when it comes to children. I know it might be harsh, but, but this one was, was tough, and, and I'm upset, and I think many of us are. Thank y'all so much for listening to this week's case. I truly appreciate each and every one of you. I have noticed several more five-star reviews over on Apple Podcast, and I am truly so, so grateful for that. I, I, 
I'm excited to be building a community here with y'all and bringing light to cases that I feel like need to be talked about. If you enjoyed my coverage of today's case, please consider hitting that subscribe button. I upload a new podcast episode every Thursday. I am now working with an editor, so hopefully I'll be able to upload more than one video a week. We shall see. I'm going to be shooting for two but I will let y'all know whenever we get on that new upload schedule. For now, it will be uploads on every Thursday. That will never change. So thank y'all again so much for watching. Stay safe out there. Hug your babies tonight, y'all, and I'll see y'all in the next post.